Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. So y'all can go ahead and find a seat uh, as you're finding a seat, just as an FYI. I think there's several here I've never met. Some new people maybe I haven't got the opportunity to meet. My name is Matt. I'm the youth pastor here. And my voice does not usually sound like a 57-year-old smoker. Um, but I was sick last week, feeling great, ready to rock and roll tonight. But the problem is my voice still hasn't caught back up. So if I do kind of start sounding like I got a whole box full of popsicles down in my basement, um, it's just my cold. I'm not really that way. All right. So um, go ahead and open your Bibles and turn to John chapter 17. As you're doing that, I want to add to what uh, Jordan and April said. D-Now weekend is next week. And um, I, a lot of y'all have signed up. I know y'all, some of y'all, you're on the naughty list because you haven't signed up yet. And you need to go ahead and sign up tonight. But you're going to be given tonight as you leave one of these or several of these to bring a friend. Um, so, so take these, give this to somebody who needs to come to D-Now Weekend. D-Now Weekend is not just for Christians. It's a great opportunity to, for, people, for your friends to meet Jesus too. So you can say, hey, you look like you need to meet Jesus. Come to D-Now Weekend with me. Um, a lot of people have asked, hey, if, if I've got something going on during the weekend, I have a practice or I have a game, is, is that like a deal breaker? No, just go ahead and register and let us know when you have to leave and when you'll be back and we'll be glad to have you. So, um, Tonight, as we continue our Abide series, uh, we're going to be talking about stress a little bit and anxiety a little bit. And I thought that was going to be kind of hard to talk about because no teenager's ever stressed and no teenager ever deals with anxiety, right? Yeah. yeah? So I, uh, I looked up and, you know, th- as a youth pastor, these were no, no surprise to me and I know they won't be surprised to you, but I thought it'd be a good jumping off point for us of uh, the top five triggers of teen stress. Now, some of y'all are positive on this article. It's like a picture of your brother. But none of your brothers were pictured in these articles. Here's the top five triggers of teen stress and anxiety. Uh, the first is academics. Anybody feeling that like right now? Um, I've been told that, and I've, I've, I've read somewhere, that a teenager who was in high school is, is if, if going to school and school stuff was your job, you'd be working the equivalent of one and a half adult full-time jobs by virtue of going to school. And some of y'all like know this like all too well. It's like, oh, we go to school for eight hours and do school stuff, and then our teachers are like, hey, do school stuff at home too, right? Um, so you're, you're, you're feeling like you, you have grades coming up, you're taking AP class, you're doing all this stuff. It is, it's, it's stressful, and you're feeling the academic stress. Then there's a whole other flock of you that feel this kind of stress. It's the social drama stress. Um, You know, some of it's like serious when it has to do with being bullied and that kind of stuff. And and, and you feel that, like like that stress in your heart and that trouble in your heart because you know every day you're going to go to school and you're going to face somebody who wants to make your life terrible for the next seven hours. Um, But it could also have to do with, uh, you know, Valentine's Day coming up or single awareness day coming up, however you want to talk about it, um, you know, there's relationship drama. And like, you know, you're like uh, some popular people that have long lists of ex-boyfriends and things like that, and it stresses you out when you see those people. Um, or just friend problems. Anybody have a, anybody, you have a dramatic friend. 
and it drives you crazy. How many of your dramatic friend is sitting right next to you? Okay, so social drama can cause stress and anxiety. Family dysfunction. Don't raise your hand. But how many of you, the primary cause of the anxiety, the primary cause of the, just, just the trouble in your heart is, is your family? We kind of laugh about it, huh, huh, families are crazy. But some of you, you really do have a situation that you're dealing with. People in your family are causing, as Jesus say, says in, verse, in chapter 14, your heart to be troubled. You think about what's going on with your dad or what's going on with your mom or a sibling and your heart is troubled. There's family dysfunction. There's also world events. Something I always try to tell our older people is stop scaring the kids. <laughs> like really, stop, like stop. Yeah, we get it. There's stuff going on in the world that we need to be concerned about. But don't talk about it 24. You ever feel like all, you, all the uncles that come over for Thanksgiving, all they talk about is the fact, well, you know, this world's gonna end in like five years because of Biden. Right? Or so, whatever it is. I don't know. Or it could be the other person. I don't know. But like, 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 and, and you hear all this talk about things going on in the world. Then you see on the news about things happening in schools, school shootings. You go through these preparedness drills and your heart is troubled. It's trauma. Straight up trauma. Something has happened to you, even though you're a teenager, you're 13, 14, 15 years old, but something's already happened in your life that causes you to mistrust everyone. Or causes you to worry about what could be on the other side of a door you're walking through. That's a serious one, trauma. And then the next is big life changes. Some of you had a best friend. Best friend moved away. Some of you had a lot of friends and then your family's like, hey, we're gonna move to like this, you know, you know hole in the wall, West Virginia. <laughs> and you're like, where's West Virginia? Is that close to Richmond? And then you realize there's a state called West Virginia and here you are, you move to it, right? And big life changes. Somebody moves out of your house. Somebody you really love and are connected to passes away. And that can cause your heart to be troubled. Tonight, Jesus talks to his disciples about what to do with a troubled heart. So can I ask you, before we look at this passage, just think about in your life, what is it in your life that is causing your heart to be troubled? What in your life? Ask yourself that question. Don't ask your friend that question. Ask yourself that. You hear me? I was like, ask yourself that question. Ask yourself that question. What in my life is causing my heart to be troubled? What we're going to learn tonight through this um, this command of Jesus is a very simple lesson that faith is the fix for troubled hearts. Faith, it, it almost sounds like a country song. Only this time it's not Bubba, it's faith. Faith is the fix for a troubled heart. So let's, re we're just going to read this passage through in John chapter 14. But before we do that, let's set it up. You're going to remember this by the time the series is over. Who wrote the book of John? What's the big deal about John? Jesus' best friend? He was the beloved disciple. Jesus is bro. He was Jesus' best friend for life, ride or die. He had a very unique perspective because he was with Jesus pretty much for everything. So I think I already kind of answered the question. How's John different than the other three eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, and Luke? 
It tells a different story. It's, it's, it's the same story, but I know what you're saying, Ethan. It's a different perspective. It, it, right on. Ethan nailed it. It's a new, fresh perspective on Jesus' life because Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all kind of saw Jesus do the same things, but John saw other things that Jesus did. Why was this book written? So people may believe in life. Oh, y'all are starting to get it. This is the clue. This is the cheat code for John. John chapter 20. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And we're in this section, verses, chapters 13 through 17, that are Jesus' last words. It's the big fancy term is his upper room discourse. Jesus, he got this little upper room, this guest room, um, and had the Passover meal with his disciples. Remember in the first week we talked about how Jesus washed his disciples' feet. It got really awkward. And then Jesus told his disciples, hey, one of you is going to betray me. Judas left because Judas was the one who was going to betray him. But none of the disciples knew other than John. Then Jesus says, hey guys, I got to leave. I'm getting ready to leave this world. But while I'm gone, y'all need to love one another. And the disciples all freaked out when they found out Jesus was leaving because they'd been with him for three years. And Peter's like, Jesus, you can't go. I'll go with you. And Jesus is like, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And that's exactly what happened with Peter. So when we pick up in verse number one of John 14, the disciples are freaking out. So what does Jesus have to say to these disciples who have troubled hearts? He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If we're not so, would I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and I will take, listen to these words, I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, famous verse, you may know this verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know me and have seen him. But Philip said to him, hey, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe, you've heard that word a lot, right? Believe in me, that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask, whatever, 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 powerful verse, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. Let's pray together and we're going to dig into this passage. Um, God, I pray that right now you will work in our hearts in a special way. Um, you tell us in your word um, that, that you do a special work through your Holy Spirit to illuminate us, to enlighten us to what you're telling us in your word. And God, I pray that tonight um, through in, in my heart and in the heart of every teen and every leader, God, that you will do that light bulb illuminating so that we can understand <coughs> what you're saying to us tonight. In Jesus' name.
Amen. This is going to be my first water break, and I'm going to try not to slurp. Is that okay? All right. Okay. So, what's the main point of the verses that we read here? Most people zoom right into verse number six because that's a famous verse. Some of y'all may have memorized this verse, I'm the way, the truth, and life. But I'd submit to you, and I think I can prove it because I think this is how God's word is arranged, that this verse, verse number one, is the key to the rest of this passage because this is the command that Jesus gives them. Their hearts are troubled. This word for troubled is a word that's repeated a lot. Um, Jesus was troubled. We learn about that in chapter number 12 and chapter number 13. It says that Jesus' heart was troubled because he knew he was going to be facing the cross. Then we learn in chapter 14, um, 14.1, and then also in verse number 27 of chapter 14 that the disciples' hearts were troubled. This word for troubled is, is a word that means to kind of be like picked up and tossed around a little bit, kind of shaken up, to be anxious and to be worried. <clears throat> So when we were talking about how your hearts are troubled, the disciples, why were the disciples' hearts troubled? Well, I can think of three reasons why the disciples were freaking out, why their hearts were troubled, and why they were stressed, and why they were anxious about what was to come. The first reason is <clears throat> that Jesus said somebody was going to betray him, and they didn't know who it was. Could it be me? Could it be me? Could it be? They're still wrestling with that in their head. Um, the second reason, I believe, is because um, Jesus said he's leaving. They couldn't, they couldn't deal with the fact that Jesus would not any longer be with them. <coughs> Excuse me. I think the third reason was because he just told Peter, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me three times, bro. And Peter's, Peter was just, he, he, he could not process the fact that he would deny Jesus. So they thought this was going to be this great Passover meal. You ever go somewhere thinking it's going to be the greatest time ever and it's just the worst? This is what's happening with the disciples. They did not know this was coming. So Jesus says, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. You ever freak out and somebody tells you not to freak out? You're like, how can I not freak out? This is bad. <laughs> you know, has anybody ever told you to calm down? It's like, I can't calm down. You, how can Jesus tell the disciples not to be troubled if somebody's going to be betraying them? If he's going to be leaving and if Peter's going to be denying him, there's like a very good reason to freak out, you know? So why, why should they not freak out? Here's the reason. Here's the fix for a troubled heart. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. <coughs> Sorry about that. Believe in God, believe also in me. What Jesus is saying is if you do this, If you believe in me, they already believe in God, but if you believe in me, your heart will not be troubled anymore. This is what you need to do at this moment in your life when you are freaking out. What you're going to learn and you're going to see here as you go through the passage is that this word believe is throughout all the rest of the passage. So what Jesus is saying is that if you believe in him, he will fix your troubled soul. He'll fix your troubled heart. 
So I believe Jesus here gives three reasons why believing in him fixes a troubled heart. So we're just going to kind of walk through the passage and look at these three reasons. Um, the first reason that, that Jesus says faith is the fix to a troubled heart is because if you believe in Jesus, for those of us that believe in Jesus, there's a place we're going. Verse 2 kicks this off. This is another one I memorized. This is and anybody ever memorized this, this this set of verses? In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, what I told you that I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus says he's making room for us in his father's house. Um, depending on the version of the Bible you read or you have, um, some ver versions of the Bible say um, that Jesus is preparing. In my, in my father's house, there are many mansions. I don't know if your version of the Bible says that. So a lot of people have kind of read that and they've taken it to think that, oh, well, like, I've got this mansion over here and this is going to be like my mansion and this is gonna be, it's going to be like these big, like, southern antebellum, big column, like, mansions, like, on this rolling hilltop and, like, I'm just going to come out in this, like, you know, suit with tails on with a butler and, like, i got my mansion. That's really not what it means. This, this word for mansion um, is a word um, that... In, in my ESV, it's translated rooms, but what it all often means is a guest room. So if you think about it, it's kind of a cool, cool way to think about it because Jesus is, where's Jesus giving this? Where's Jesus speaking right now? He's in the upper room, which is a guest room that was built onto the top of a house. And if you were a, a upper middle class Jewish person, you would have a house that had literally one room in it and it's where the whole family slept awkward. But if you had a little bit of extra money, you would build on the top of your house a guest room where your guests could stay. So Jesus was in the house of a somewhat well-to-do Jewish person in this guest room telling the disciples, hey, in my father's house, there are many guest rooms. My father, God is wealthy. God is great. God is powerful. God owns everything. And he's building a guest room, a condo, in his house for you. Isn't that incredible to think about? The fact that this life is not all there is and Jesus is building, the Bible doesn't say it exactly this way but it's the way I like to think about it. Jesus built a guest, is building a guest room in the house of God and above the door it says reserved for Matt McClay. And it says reserved for you, and you got one. And I feel like Oprah, you get a car, you get a car, you get a, yeah, you got it, you got a guest house. You got, you, if you trust in Jesus, you have a guest room in the Father's house. He's making room for you. And he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, first off, I put this in my Bible, he went, right? He's not here anymore. Jesus said, if I go and prepare a place for you, well, he went to prepare a place for us. So what does he say is going to happen if he goes? I will come again. This part is done. This part is yet to come. It's the next thing on God's calendar. And that he is going to come and get us and take us to his house. 
Yeah, I always thought it was awesome when I was a kid. Um, sometimes my grandparents would drive down from Pennsylvania and get me and my siblings and take us to their house. And we would be like, it was summer, nothing else to do. Ready to go to our grandparents. They were going to come and get us. You know, Jesus is coming to get us. And there's nothing stopping him from coming. He could come at any moment. And that's a fix for a troubled heart. And I, I, I know that as a teenager, you're like, well, why should I care about heaven? Like, that's for old people. Like, take this, take this sermon to the nursing home, Matt. Like, old people need to hear about heaven. I've got a lot of lives to live. Like, one time I was talking to a teenager, and he's like, I don't want to go to heaven yet. He's like, I still want to get married and do things that married people do. I was like, oh my. Um, but like, um, but I, I get it. You're young, you're a teenager, but there are times in your life where you're going to have to hold on to the fact that this life is not all there is. And you can look forward to the fact that Jesus is coming for you. But as he's talking about this place where he's going, the disciples get a little confused here. Thomas, we always love to give Thomas a hard time, don't we? What's his nickname? Anybody know his nickname? Doubting Thomas. But you know, because of doubting Thomas and some of the questions that he asked, we have some really good answers in the Bible about things that we get to know about. So we can thank Thomas for asking him these, this question. He said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? You did not leave us a GPS coordinates to put in to our car to drive to heaven. And Jesus is saying, no, you got it all wrong. You don't need a map to get to heaven. You need a driver who knows how to get there. And it's me. And that's what Jesus says. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to Father except through me. Jesus makes an exclusive statement here. That there's no other way to heaven. I've heard people say, well, or it's kind of like we're all climbing up to the same top of the mountain. But we all have different paths and different ways to get there, that may work if you're hiking, but you're not hiking. You're going to heaven. And there's only one person who's ever made it to heaven and come back down and gone back. And it's Jesus. He's the way. And he makes it exclusive. Look at some of the exclusiveness. He uses, I don't want to get too technical, but he uses not just adjectives, but what kind of adjectives? What kind of articles? Definite articles, meaning there can only be one. He didn't say, I'm a way. I'm a truth, I'm a life. He says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. And he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Why is Jesus the only way? Two H words. He's holy and he's human. Those are two things that nobody else can pull off, but Jesus can. We have all pulled off the human part, right? You know, if I pinch you, you'll squeal. If I cut you, you'll bleed. That'd be a really weird excerpt from a, a message. But um, yeah, you're human, right? Y'all got heartbeats. Y'all got like uh, hemoglobin and y'all got all that human stuff, right? How many of you are holy? Has to be a sacrifice that was holy. Jesus, God in Abad, came to earth. He was holy he was also human so that he could die in our place. He's the only one who can get us to heaven. So, we find faith as a fix to our troubled heart because we know where we're going. There's a place we're going. And it answers one of the most important questions that people ask. And it's a question that each one of you have asked and have thought about. Most of us don't like to admit it. It's the, this question, what happens when I die? 
if you're honest, you've watched TV shows that talk about death and you've wondered that answer to that question. And I think if you're honest, lately, even in our, our own community, you know, what's, what's just to me is, is so sad is most people think of teenagers as people who have decades and decades and decades of life in front of them. But every year, we come into the sad situation, it seems like, where a teenager passes away. And it gets people thinking, what happens when I die? The good news is, people who have this settled and who have trusted in Christ as their Savior not only have the answer to this question, but they have hope in the answer to this question because Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and I'm building a mansion in heaven for you. That's what happens when a believer dies in this world. So when your heart is troubled, you can remember that your eternal fate is taken care of. The next reason that faith is the fix for a troubled heart is because there's a person we're trusting. Jesus goes on you know, talking here, and now Philip is asking a question. Uh, we, we go to uh, verse 7, and Jesus says, Hey, if you'd known me, you'd have known my father also. Now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip says, Hey, Lord, will you show us the father? Man, that'd be enough. If Jesus, if you show me God, the Father, I'll believe. Think about what Philip was asking Jesus. He'd spent three years with Jesus. He'd seen Jesus do all these miracles and change people's lives, but it wasn't quite enough for Philip. He needed more before he would believe. You know, it's possible to be around Jesus and totally miss who he really is. Are you picking that up yet from our Upper Room series, our Abide series? It's possible to go to church, hear about Jesus, to know about him and not really know who he is and not really know him. So the question maybe for you is, when will it be enough? Yeah, what's it going to take for you to put your trust in Jesus? This is when Jesus makes the next big claim. His first big claim was, hey, there's no other way to heaven except through me. His next big claim is in verse 9. Jesus says, have I been with you so long, Philip, that you do not know me? This is a big one. Here it is. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Do you realize how big of a deal that is? He says, you're looking at God. I'm, I shouldn't point to myself. Jesus is, saying, Jesus is saying, hey, Philip, look at me. You're looking at God right now. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Some of you have been waiting to put your faith in God because you say, I want to wait until I have proof that God exists. Well, I've got great news for you. I've got proof that God exists. God came to earth as a person named Jesus of whom there is historical record. He lived and people wrote about him just like other historical figures who lived and walked this earth and people wrote about him. Jesus breathed the same air you're breathing now. He stepped on the same earth that you're stepping on now. He looked at the same moon that you looked at at night. Jesus is a real historical person 
And we can know that God exists and we can also know what God is like. You want to know what God is like when he's angry? Look at Jesus when he went to the temples and, they found, and he found them turning his house of prayer into a den of thieves. Want to know what God is like when he's sad? Read John chapter 11 and read about Lazarus. Jesus' friend who passed away and how Jesus cried. What does God look like when he's happy? What does God look like when he's tired? You can read about this historical record of God walking the earth because if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. We also know what God has to say about things. You say, I wonder what God, you know, would say. Everybody's talking about gender right now. Like, I wonder what God would think about that. Well, you know what? We, have, we know what God thinks about it because Jesus spoke about it. I wonder what God would have to say about money. Jesus talked about money. I wonder what you, God would have to say about friendship drama. Jesus talked about friendship drama. Jesus offers two proofs of his, um, of, of his being God. Um, the first is, he says, um, he says, the words that I say, I don't speak on my own authority. You know, when Jesus, when Jesus preached and Jesus taught, people's reaction was like, because the, it says the words that Jesus spoke had such authority. And it's because they weren't the words of a regular old human person. They were the words of a holy human. They were the words of God in a bod. But also it says, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Jesus was a human, but he was a holy human. Because most humans can't take a step out on a lake and stay on top of the water. Jesus was a human, but he was a holy human because most humans, <laughs> most humans can't speak to a dead man and he comes back to life. So Jesus had words that he spoke that were powerful and Jesus had works that he did that were powerful. And what Jesus is saying here is that I'm God. You believe in God, believe in me. Don't let your heart be troubled. You can trust me. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. The fix for a troubled heart is faith in Jesus because it answers this question, who can I trust? You've asked that question before and you found some wrong answers probably in your life to that question. Yeah, there was, yeah, maybe there was a boyfriend that you thought for sure that you could trust and you found out like your ex-best friend was also trusting him too, right? And, and, and there, are, there, are, there are people that we, we think we can look up to and we think we can trust and we just can't trust people fully like we can trust God. We're looking for someone that we can hold on to and we know will never let us down if we put our trust in him and it's Jesus because he's God. Who can I trust? I wrote this down. A chief cause of troubled hearts among teenagers is placing trust in the wrong people. I hope there are people in your life that you will learn to trust. Close friends, confidants, leaders, parents, people that you look up to. But there's only one person that you can put your total trust in and will never let you down and will never fail because he's not just a human, he's a holy human and it's Jesus. And when your heart is troubled, hang on to the person who's never gonna let you down. The final reason that faith is the fix for a troubled heart is because there's a purpose we're living. 
you look down to verse 12, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, and I meant to do this, maybe this is something you'll want to do later, is circle every time the word believes appears in these verses. I mean, it's crazy. There's like a butt ton. Anyone who, he says in verse 12, I tell you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I am doing, or do the works that I do. If we believe in Jesus, it gives us a purpose. It gives us something we're called to do. You know, you're not, people think when you get saved, when you trust in Jesus, that you're like, Jesus comes, comes down and he gives you a little card. And it's, it's not an invitation to D now, but you think sometimes, oh, Jesus gives you a little card. And Gabe, I'm so glad I trust, you trusted in me. Here's your get out of hell free card. After you die, you just need to present this at the gate of heaven and you'll be let in. I'll see you later. Can't wait to see you after you die and you come to, meet, come to hang out with me in heaven. That's not how it works. Jesus doesn't just save us from hell. He saves us to a new life. That's what we're going to be talking about at the now weekend, actually. He saves us to a new life. And he saves us to do the things that he did. What did Jesus do while he was on the face of the earth? The greatest ministry Jesus did during the three years that he ministered was that he picked, he picked 12 guys and he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus didn't just save you to sit and soak and sour. Jesus saved you to serve. And Jesus saved you to be an impact on the lives of others and to do the works that he did. Have you ever eaten watermelon at like a picnic? Anybody here love watermelon, like a good, juicy watermelon? Is anyone here unsaved and you don't like watermelon? Okay, um, just a few of you. Um, so there are two kinds of watermelon. There's seedless watermelons and there's watermelons with the seeds. Does anybody absolutely hate seeds and you, you, you prefer the seedless watermelons? See, the seedless watermelons aren't as messy. You know, you don't, you don't have to chew the seeds or you don't have to spit them out. But seedless watermelons are genetically engineered. And you know what the issue with those seedless watermelons are? They never reproduce themselves. They're it. So when Jesus saves you, he doesn't save you and make you a seedless Christian. He didn't turn you into a seedless watermelon when he put new life in you. He wanted you to do the works that he's doing. So he saved you and he gave you a new life that is supposed to reproduce itself into the lives of others. So you think, gee, you, you, a lot of people go around when, in life and, well, this is actually the question, but I'll get back to it. They say, what is my purpose? Why am I here? You try to find your purpose through playing sports, and sports is great. You try to find your purpose through making balling good grades, and that's great to do. You, you try to find your purpose by you building up some, maybe some, some following on like Instagram or TikTok. You do whatever. You try to find a purpose. This is it. This is the purpose that you can never exhaust because it's what Jesus saved you to. It says, he'll do the works that I do, but it gets wild. Are you ready for this? So if you're saved, if you believe in Jesus, you'll do what he does, but it says, and you'll do greater works than Jesus did. What? That can't be right. <laughs> like something has to be wrong here. It says that Matt McClay if he trusts in Jesus, will not only do what Jesus did, but do greater things than Jesus did? Is that right? 
That when Cade Ball was saved, that he was saved to do greater works than Jesus? What? Como es posible? How is that possible? I'm just trying to help you all learn some Spanish. It, Jesus says, because I'm going to the Father. We're going to learn next week that when Jesus went to the Father, and while he's, you know, building a house for us, he sent his Holy Spirit to live inside us. And one of those guys that was listening to what, what Jesus was saying was a guy named Peter. And you know what Peter did the day the Holy Spirit came down to live in believers? Peter did greater works as far as making disciples than Jesus did because Peter shared the gospel and over 2,000 people became children of God. It works because Peter said, oh, I'm down. I'll do it. And then he says, and whatever you ask in my name, this I'll do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Ask me anything in my name and I'll do it. You know, there's two sides of this. It's just incredible. The one is that Jesus pretty much gives his followers a blank check. He literally says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. And, and if you're like me, you're like real quick to jump to some other things. You're like, nah. Have you ever watched um, Aladdin? The cart, not the, the, the animated version, not the human. And you know how, like, you know, Aladdin's like, I could really get more wishes. And Jeannie's like, well, there are a few provisos, a couple of quid pro quo. You know, he's like, gets like 50,000 fingers and he's trying to like limit what Aladdin can ask. Some of us are really quick to be like, okay, Jesus really didn't mean that. There's no way Jesus could mean like whatever. We have to find the fine print. We have to find like the limiting factors here because it, some of you, you're such control freaks like me that it would just, it, it, it would wreck your brain to think that somebody could just ask Jesus for anything and Jesus give it to him. That's essentially what Jesus says here. Only one little, you one little set of guardrails here and it's this, that you have to ask it in my name and that the Father has to be glorified through it. So, you know, you, you know some of you girls really want to go to prom with Snake this year and Snake's not a good guy. He's a jerk. He's already ripped the heart out of like three of your friends. Snake's bad news. So guess what? If you ask God, hey, can, will, you, will Snake ask me out to prom? It's probably not going to glorify the Father and the Son for that to happen. So it probably ain't going to happen. But when it comes to what God has called us to do, making disciples, make an impact on people's lives, start asking this. What would happen if you just started asking God to save your friends? What would happen if you started asking God to change the heart of your dad or change the heart of your mom? What would happen if you prayed in this bold way that Jesus tells you to pray for you to be a big impact on people's lives. I think you'll see God do it. I think you'll see God do it. The problem, as Keith Matheny likes to say, is that we expect million-dollar answers from 10-cent prayers. Jesus gives us a purpose. Why are you here? To make disciples who live in love like Jesus. To glorify God. Faith is a fix for a troubled heart. So is your heart troubled tonight? We're running out of time, but I want to give you um, a few application points. I didn't alliterate them. I have no F words, no Z words, no C words, no P words, nothing. They're all big words. I've never done big words before. You ready for the big words? Let me give you these four big words and we're going to get out of here. And I'm going to go through them quickly because of time. First one is big God. Stop looking at the size of your problem and start looking at the size of your God. 
The reason our hearts are so troubled and the reason the disciples' hearts are so troubled is they were staring down the barrel of scary things. And some of us, me included, maybe you, you're staring down the barrel of scary things that are coming in life and you're thinking, I can't. I can't even. I know you can't, and I know you can't even, but God can, and God can't even, so stop looking at the size of your problem and start looking at the size of your God. That is what Jesus did. Is he, he grabbed the disciples' faces, he turned them away from what was coming, and he turned them to his face. Look at the size of your God. The next big decision. Believe in Jesus tonight and receive eternal life. Some of you don't have the answer to that question, what happens when I die? You don't have the hope and you don't have the assurance of knowing that Jesus is building a home in heaven for you. Here's the great news. After Jesus made this statement, he went and died on a cross and took the sins of the world to the grave with him so that no one has to spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. That anyone who trusts in Jesus, anyone who believes in Jesus can have eternal life and can have a mansion in heaven reserved for them. Some of you have been putting off that decision and been putting off that decision. I don't want to try to sound manipulative and I don't want to try to sound like I'm, I'm trying to literally, I guess, scare the heck out of you, you know? But there have been people before who have put that big decision off thinking they had all the time in the world and they really didn't. What's stopping you from tonight trusting in Jesus? The next is big ask. That's A-S-K, by the way. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said it. Oh, never mind. <laughs> I'm not going to say it again. So <laughs> start asking God. <laughs> I didn't realize how that would sound until I said it right now. Start asking God for things that only he can do. Are you like me when I was so convicted when Keith Matheny said this? Have you been expecting million dollar answers from 10 cent prayers? I would challenge you to be bold in the things you ask God for. Especially when it comes to you making a spiritual impact for Jesus on other people's lives. Those are, I'm telling you, those are prayers God loves to answer yes to. It may even wreck your theology a little bit if you start praying some of these bold prayers because God likes to show us up. Is there some things in your life you really need God to work in these areas? Only God could fix this? Why don't you ask him? He loves it when you ask him. And then finally, big day. Look forward to the big day when Jesus comes back. You know, one of the things you'll learn if you read the Bible, especially if you read the, the books that were written after Jesus died and rose again and went back to heaven, what you realize is these crazy early Christians, they thought Jesus was coming back this afternoon. Like they thought Jesus was coming back on Friday. So they were working their rear ends off to get their lives right and to get people saved and introduced to God and to Jesus because they thought Jesus could come back at any moment. Gary Hale missionary to the Dominican, if you ever have the, the privilege, privilege of going on a mission trip with us down to the Dominican, you will hear him say this. This is kind of his life's motto. That there are only three things that will last into eternity. God, his word, and the souls of men and women. Prioritize your life accordingly. Jesus is coming back. 
what are we doing? So let's pray and we'll get out of here. Um, God, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Um, God, we look at things coming up and we get scared. We get overwhelmed. We get nervous. We get agitated. Our hearts are troubled. But God, I pray that our faith in you will be the fix to our troubled hearts. I pray for students here tonight that don't know you as their savior. They've never placed their trust in you. They've never received forgiveness. Um, God, that they will talk to someone tonight. That they will talk to someone tonight who can counsel with them and show them from the Bible how they can trust in you as their savior. God, I pray for those of us, we know we've, uh, we know we've trusted in you as, as, as our Savior. We know you're, we, that we're saved. We know that uh, there's a home in heaven reserved for us. But God, sometimes it's so easy for us to move right on past the gospel and we forget that the same gospel that saves our friends is the gospel that sustains us every day. And God, I pray that we will hold on to you tonight and we will look to you as a big God that's bigger than all our problems. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel Podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.